Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, how about we pray uh, as we come before God's word? Uh, all right, Heavenly Father, Lord God, um, we do thank you. Um, as uh, um, <clears throat> uh, as Greg shared this morning, Lord, about how um, <clears throat> Paul prayed for us uh, to know um, to know you better, Lord, and we know. Um, we know that uh, as uh, the the Holy Spirit was the one that um, inspired Paul to write those things, Lord, that we know that uh, that is um, that is what you desire, um, that we should come to know you. Uh, so, Lord, we do join uh, Paul um, as he prayed that, Lord. We pray um, as as Paul did that you would open the eyes of our heart to know uh, what is <clears throat> uh, what is the hope to which you have called us and what is. Uh, the glorious inheritance that we have in you. Uh, And most importantly, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts uh, to know Christ better and to love him more. As we read your word this morning, uh, Lord, we pray these things in his name. Amen. Uh, What a great song to to introduce this sermon. Uh, This life I live is not my own, uh, for Christ has bought it with a price. Uh, as we've been singing um, and praying and uh, uh, and reading all about Christ this morning. Uh, this service has been all about Him, uh, all about God. Um, indeed, this whole uh, the whole church, this uh, church here in Mafra, the the church all across the world, the Bible, uh, everything is about Christ. Uh, a few months ago, I preached on Hebrews twelve. Um, and that verse, uh, in, in that verse it says that uh, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Uh, the saying goes that the world doesn't revolve around you, uh, and nor does it revolve around me, but it does indeed revolve around Jesus himself. But what is it about Jesus that makes him the centre of Christianity? What do we believe about him and Why? Uh, Well, please open in your Bibles to John chapter 20. Uh, The book of John uh, is a book written about Jesus' life by the Apostle John, uh, one of Jesus' uh, closest disciples, one of his followers. Uh, Throughout the book, John uh, called himself the disciple that Jesus loved uh, because he found it so amazing that Jesus would love him and have him as a close friend and follower. Um, and so he uh, he taught people, uh, also other people, what it meant to uh, to follow Jesus through this book. Uh, chapter twenty, uh, which we're going to uh, read in a few moments, is the second last chapter of the book. Uh, by the start of the chapter, Jesus uh, is dead; his disciples have abandoned him. Um, <clears throat> but the chapter opens with Jesus' resurrection. It's the greatest wonder and triumph the world has ever seen. Uh, And over the subsequent hours and days that chapter 20 tells us about, uh, his friends and disciples learn the news of his resurrection. Uh, And as they see the risen Christ, uh, they learn to believe that it really is true. (coughs) Um, So after the last disciple uh, sees Jesus and believes, that's Thomas, Uh, The chapter culminates with Jesus declaring in verse 29, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Uh, And if you're following in your uh, bulletins, um, you'll notice that that's what I've used as a sermon title for today. 
Um, but it is the next couple of verses, actually, verses 30 and 31 that we're going to read uh, today. So let's, uh, let me, uh, yeah, so please turn there, as I said, to John chapter 20, um, and I'll read verses 30 and 31. <clears throat> uh, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, uh, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. <clears throat> uh, these couple of sentences, or one sentence if you're in the, the ESV, um, they summarise John's entire gospel. Um, and as we study them, uh, we'll find the answer to that question, what do we believe about Jesus and why? Uh, in these verses, John explains the belief about Jesus which is central to Christianity, uh, the basis for that belief, and the blessing that is promised to all those who believe it. And again, if you're following in your bulletins, you'll see that that's the outline for today. <clears throat> so, let's start by looking at what we believe about Jesus. Uh, that is what the Bible teaches about him. Uh, verse 31, in the middle of that verse, it says, Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. <clears throat> uh, now, that's a short statement, but it is uh, very rich with meaning. Um, and a lot of those words we don't really use all that much if we're not at church or talking about Christian sort of things. Um, so it's worth our unpacking what those key words mean. <clears throat> uh, firstly, then, it says that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, now, the, the idea of that is, is somewhat lost on us as a Western audience. It's a, a Hebrew sort of uh, concept. Um, and indeed, in, Messiah is the, the English translation of um, the Hebrew word. Um, Christ has exactly the same meaning, uh, but it comes from the Greek um, because, of course, part of the Bible was written in Greek and part in Hebrew. Um, but they, they're both interchangeable. Um, and they both mean anointed one. <clears throat> uh, what that means uh, is that the Messiah was the person that God had chosen. Uh, to pr He had promised that they would save the world and rule it under him. Uh, the world is broken. Um, it has been uh, since not very long after God created it. Uh, it's, uh, it's full of pain and sickness and sad and sadness and death. Um, and they're a blight on the world. They're never supposed to be there. Um, <clears throat> insofar as when God made the world, uh, he made it very good. Uh, none of those bad things existed uh, initially. Um, and the reason they do exist now is because of sin. Uh, everything that is wrong with the world today is a result of sin. Uh, so what is Sin. Well, sin is when we fight against what God desires, uh, when we desire and do things that are the opposite of who God is and does. And because sin is opposition to God and because God is good, sin is, of course, evil. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, uh, this evil entered humanity when Adam and Eve, the first humans, disobeyed God and ate, from the tree, uh, ate fruit from the tree that God had forbidden of them. I mean, every human since, because of that, has had evil desires. <clears throat> uh, sometimes we do stuff that, uh, that, uh, that follows what God um, desires, and uh, that 
shows that we have a conscience, that we have an awareness of what is right and wrong. Um, but it highlights the fact that we do have evil desires and that we do the wrong thing anyway, most of the time. <coughs> um, and often even when we do the right thing, it's for selfish motives. Um, and as a result of the evil within us, God cursed people um, and he cursed the world. Um, he couldn't let us live in this evil state forever, so he cursed us to die eventually. Uh, and he cursed the world to be a painful place so that we'd desire something better, so that we would desire to come and live with him in heaven. Uh, where those curses mean that when he does rescue us to something better, uh, when Jesus uh, saves us and, and makes everything the way it's supposed to be, we will truly appreciate how awful sin is. God has always desired to live peacefully and joyfully with people. And that's not because he needs us, um, but, it's more, but it's because we need him. Our greatest joy is found in knowing him. And throughout the Old Testament, God, uh, Israel was at the centre of God's plan to live peacefully with people. Uh, because they proved um, to be really bad at doing what God required, just as we all do as sinful people. Uh, God said that he would raise up someone else who would fix everything, who would remove sin and remove the curse uh, and would rule the world under God and would live with people as God. <clears throat> and finally, at the start of the New Testament, God pointed at Jesus and said, He is the one. Uh, listen to, what, I, listen to the, uh, what the angel said to his mother Mary in uh, Luke chapter 1. Uh, the angel said, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Um, just as we've been singing this morning, uh, his kingdom will reign over all the earth. Um, he added... Uh, to, in Matthew chapter 1, he added to uh, Joseph that, God, that Jesus will save their people from their sins, save his people from their sins. Uh, that's what it means that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. Now, this is actually a monumental role. The, the Messiah role is huge. <clears throat> uh, Jesus being the Christ means that he saved his people and will reign over all creation with them forever. Uh, Jesus will make, in fact he's in the process of making, all things the way that God meant for them to be. Um, and so given that that's such a huge task... Uh, the second element of Jesus' identity there in John 20 is not at all surprising. Uh, read again that it says, Jesus is the Son of God. <clears throat> um, in the Bible, this phrase isn't technically unique to Jesus. Um, lots of people are called children of God. Um, and the phrase implies that such a person is in an extra special relationship with God. But at, the, but at the start of John's Gospel, he raised the idea to the nth degree to show that Jesus is God. Uh, John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. Uh, while there are people... Um, 
who are who have been lovingly and undeservingly brought into a close relationship with God, who have been made children of God. And none of them are the Son of God. <clears throat> none of them are God. None of them have seen God um, by themselves uh, without having been brought there. <clears throat> Uh, None of them have lived for all eternity in God's embrace, uh, which is the word picture behind the the phrase translated uh, in closest relationship. I mean, that's what it means that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Because uh, the uh, Colossians one fifteen to twenty really elaborates on uh, on what it means for Jesus to be the Son. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 15, says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is the head of the body, the church, Uh, He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Uh, Jesus, as the Christ, the Son of God, made everything. He rules everything and will fix everything to be exactly as it should be. Jesus is the creator God who made everything in human flesh. Jesus is God's chosen king, the one who rules all of creation under God. And Jesus is the Saviour, through whom we are brought back into a loving relationship with God, and through whom the earth and all those in relationship with God will be made perfect someday. Uh, In short, Jesus is God. Uh, And because because he is all that, uh, he deserves all worship. Uh, Revelation chapters 4 and 5 give a description of uh, the ongoing worship of God uh, and the Lamb, Jesus, uh, in the heavenly throne room. Uh, So listen as I read a few verses from that scene. Um, Starting in uh, Revelation 5 verse 6, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. Verse 8, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Uh, In verse 11, then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Jesus, as the Son of God, deserves all praise, all worship, all honour and service and power. And that is who Jesus is. That's what the Bible calls us to believe.
Uh, now, you might be thinking, that is a really big claim. Uh, and yes, as claims go, this is as big as it gets. <clears throat> uh, the Christian faith uh, is more than something uh, that's personal, that's uh, just um, a feel-good sort of thing that we keep to ourselves because it only affects us. Uh, no, the Bible, the Christian faith, makes ultimate claims that affect everyone, everywhere, through all time. Uh, and so it's also reasonable then to think that such an ultimate claim needs something substantial to back it up. And so for that reason, let's turn our attention to the basis on which John makes this claim. Uh, this is point number two, the basis. <clears throat> um, but before we start looking at that, um, I'll just give an illustration. Um, it's been estimated uh, that as many as 70% of all doctors' decisions are made at least partly on the basis of a pathology test result. Uh, now, that's what I do for a living. I run pathology tests. Uh, and I will let you decide for yourselves how much you think that figure is due to the self-aggrandizement of pathologists. Uh, but it is true that, that we uh, do give out a lot of results that have a significant impact on patient treatment. Um, and so, for this reason, everything that we do in the lab is very, very carefully controlled. Uh, we have internal quality controls, we have external quality controls, internal audits, external audits, and we have to be able to prove that every test result that we give out is legitimate and factual. Every test must be verified, every check must be documented, and every result must have evidence to back it up. And the reason I bring this up is because the way a lot of people talk about the Bible, uh, the way they talk about faith and religion and beliefs, uh, you could reasonably think that I abandon all of that evidence-based background each time I stand up here in the pulpit. I would never take it on faith uh, that a test result is valid, uh, and I don't expect doctors to either. But isn't that what I'm doing now when I tell you that Jesus is God? <clears throat> well, the fact is that these beliefs about who Jesus is don't actually come out of nowhere. Uh, we're not, we didn't make them up. They're not true in our imaginations. We don't just believe them because we want them to be true. No, these beliefs are based on the historical person of Jesus, uh, whose biographies we read in the Bible. Uh, they were written by those who knew him best, by eyewitnesses. And as our passage says in verse 30, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe. Uh, again, let's look at uh, this verse bit by bit so we can get a full understanding of it. Uh, first off, um, we read that, G that John talks about Jesus' signs. What are signs? Well, signs... Um, is John's way of referring to miracles. Often if you read the other Gospels, it, it uh, talks about miracles or mighty deeds, acts of power. Uh, but John calls them signs to highlight how they talk about Jesus' identity. <coughs> uh, John 2 verse 11, after Jesus' first miracle, turning water into wine, uh, John says what Jesus did here was the first of his signs through which he revealed his glory. 
Uh, Jesus' miracles reveal his glory. That is, they show us that he is the Christ, the Son of God, as we've been talking about earlier. Only God can perform miracles. Sometimes he does that through people. Um, But ultimately, only God actually has the power to do them. Uh, But remember last week... Uh, Mick read read to us about when Jesus calmed the storm. Uh, And in doing that, Jesus didn't need to pray to ask God to change the weather, like you or I would. No, Jesus just stood up and rebuked the wind and the waves himself. Uh, And as Mick pointed out, only God has the power to do that. Uh, Again, a few weeks back, um, we read about Jesus casting out demons. Uh, And again, it was on his own authority, his own power, which made the demons leave people. Um, And as I said, John uh, loves to use uh, miracles to show who Jesus is. Um, So let me give an example of that. Um, In John chapter 9, Jesus proclaims, I am the light of the world. Um, That is a claim to to having in himself God's divine goodness and glory. I meant to demonstrate that Jesus uh, healed a blind man. In, in a sense, he brought light into his life. The light of the world is therefore Jesus. Jesus is God. Uh, we see that through that miracle. Often claims to Jesus' identity in John are directly tied like that to the miracle that's being performed at that time. Uh, And so John's miracles are proof that Jesus is everything that we're talking about, that we've been talking about. Sorry, Jesus' miracles, I should say. Jesus' miracles are proof that he is everything we've been talking about. Uh, Note also that John says Jesus did many signs, uh, and most of which he didn't record in his book. Um, And this checks out. If you if you read the other three Gospels, they have dozens of miracles, um, and most of them Jesus, uh, John makes no mention of. But even the half dozen or so that John has written is enough evidence that we should believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Uh, now, sadly, I don't have enough time this morning to go through all the miracles in John's Gospel. Um, And I certainly don't have time to go through all the miracles uh, that we know about of Jesus. Um, And I can uh, encourage you to read uh, for yourself um, the Gospels of Jesus um, and also come back in the coming weeks as Mick takes us through some more miracles of Mark's Gospel. Uh, But before, but in the meantime... Uh, John does give us uh, a little bit more of an indication of whether we have reason to believe that they actually happened. Uh, We weren't actually there, uh, nor can we go back and see the signs for ourselves. But John says in this verse that Jesus' signs were done in the presence of his disciples. Jesus' disciples were his closest followers. Uh, They were direct eyewitnesses of his ministry. They were there for everything, loyally following him on his ministry travels, uh, right up until he died, of course. And then after he rose from the dead, he still sought out the disciples, and they were there until the end, when he ascended. Uh, And so, uh, they were uniquely placed to give an insight into who he was and what he said and did. 
Uh, in Acts 1 verse 8, just before Jesus ascended, he said uh, to them, to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so from then on, that's what they did. Uh, listen to what they said um, as they preached throughout the rest of Acts. Uh, Acts 2.32, this Jesus God raised up and of that we are witnesses. Uh, 3.15, uh, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead, to this we are witnesses. Uh, 5.32, and we are witnesses to these things. Uh, and 10.39, again, we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Over and over again we read, we are witnesses, we are witnesses, we are witnesses of all that Jesus did. And so what did they witness? Uh, well, they witnessed what we've been talking about. Uh, they witnessed Jesus doing miracles and signs. They witnessed him being crucified and that he rose from the dead. And they witnessed that all of this proves that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Um, does that mean that, that they uh, were always believed wherever they went? No, of course not. The, the Greeks uh, scoffed at the idea of the resurrection from the dead. Um, sometimes the, uh, the people uh, just don't want to listen um, to these things. Um, but that didn't change anything, of course. The disciples knew what they had seen. They knew for a fact that they had seen with their own eyes Jesus working miracles that backed up his claims. But still, just as Jesus is no longer around for us to see him work miracles... So too are the disciples no longer around to ask them about it. Um, and so while they were alive, they wrote about Jesus' life. Uh, and these writings, as I said, are the four Gospels that are now in our Bibles. And that's the third aspect for, our, for the belief in, in uh, John 20, 30. Um, in, oh, sorry, verse 31, he says, These are written so that you may believe. Um, at the end of John's Gospel, he, he said again, this is a disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Uh, John, as one of Jesus' disciples, wrote what he knew of Jesus so that his witness would continue long after he died. Uh, Matthew was also a disciple. Uh, and he wrote his memories in what we now call the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Mark wasn't a disciple of Jesus, but 1 Peter 5.13 tells us that he was a disciple of the Apostle Peter. Um, and so Mark wrote based on what Peter remembered. <clears throat> uh, Luke also wasn't a disciple of Jesus, um, but he too uh, investigated very carefully and, and uh, looked up the first-hand accounts. Um, and as he wrote in his opening verses, he said, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account. Uh, the Gospel accounts are therefore reliable accounts of Jesus' life, uh, written by either his closest followers and eyewitnesses or based directly on what those eyewitnesses said. 
Uh, now, some object that the Gospels are all so different. Um, and if they were written by eyewitnesses uh, all about the same person, they should all be the same, shouldn't they? Um, now, Mick uh, does, obje- does answer this objection many a time in his sermons. Now, let me just give a different illustration um, to show why this objection is quite unreasonable. Uh, let's say, for example, that Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, came to Mafra. How would we read about it in the various papers? Uh, Well, the local paper would have it as front-page news. It would have a double-spread, long articles about everything he said, who he spoke to, uh, what it means for MAFRA and what it means for the Gippsland region. But a Melbourne newspaper, on the other hand, would be quite different. Certainly probably wouldn't be front-page news. Uh, It'd probably be a lot shorter article. Um, And it would draw out... Um, not so much the local implications, but the implications for probably wider Gippsland and even the whole state. Uh, I would probably focus on what he might have said about, say, Daniel Andrews, V-Line, uh, Regional Roads Victoria, for example. And a national paper would be different again. Uh, the local aspects would be even more minimised. Only what had a national significance would be mentioned. Uh, what it means perhaps for small businesses or farmers or uh, regional communities. But of course those differences between how the newspapers are conveying it doesn't uh, mean that the visit didn't happen uh, or that some details were made up. I mean, of course, these details were made up, but uh, if it did actually happen, that's not, how, that's not what it would mean. Um, in the same way, the Gospels are all true, even though they mention different events and have different emphases or even different details. The Gospels are indeed reliable records. Uh, and so with that in mind, are Christians really gullible to the point of stupidity to believe in Jesus? Do we really need to take a blind leap of faith to be Christians? Is Christianity, if, sorry, if Christianity is based on the witnessed and well-documented historical person of Jesus Christ, is it really blind faith? Well, in some ways, yes and no. The concept of blind faith is true in the sense that we've never actually seen Jesus in the flesh. Uh, Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Uh, 1 Peter 1.8, Though you have not seen him, that is Jesus, you love him, and though you do not now see him, you believe in him. I mean, of course, even Jesus himself, uh, in the verse directly before our passage in John 20, uh, said to the Apostle Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Um, And so in that sense, in the sense that we don't actually see Jesus now, in the sense that we don't uh, see him at the right hand of God, uh, blind faith, I suppose, is in some ways a biblical concept. um, And it is indeed commendable. But blind faith in the sense that most people mean usually goes a lot further beyond that. It's not just faith without seeing, is it? It's faith without basis or without evidence. It's having faith even though it goes against all logic, faith that no sane person would consider reasonable. Uh, And frankly, that's not how the Christian faith works. Our faith does have a basis. It's based on the Bible. It's based on the book about Jesus. (coughs) 
Uh, as Luke said, it seemed good to me, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you that you may have certainty regarding the things that you have been taught. Uh, again, John said, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe. Uh, once again, in the following chapter, this is the disciple bearing witness about these things, who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Our faith has a solid foundation, which is the Bible. Uh, our foundation is the truth about Jesus. Uh, that brings us to point number three, the blessing. Um, having said all that, all that I said about uh, about not uh, believing just because we want it to be true, um, in, in a sense, though, we do indeed want it to be true. Um, our atheists think their faith has a sure foundation, um, but what an awful faith it is. Uh, the faith that life is meaningless and hopeless. On the contrary, uh, there are wonderful blessings in store for those who believe in Jesus. <clears throat> uh, look there at the end of verse 31. Uh, uh, that in believing you may have life in his name. Life, eternal life is promised to all those who believe in Jesus. Uh, of course, we all know John 3.16, uh, where it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but what? Have eternal life. That eternal life there refers to being in closest relationship with God for all eternity. I remember what I said earlier about how being a child of God means uh, such a person is in a special relationship with God. Uh, well, listen uh, to John 1 verse 12. It says, To those who believed in his name, he, that is Jesus, he gave the right to be called children of God. And likewise, John 17 verse 3 says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the, the true God, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. <clears throat> I also want you to have something uh, very clear in your minds that eternal life is indeed a good thing. Uh, there, there are, uh, it's becoming increasingly common in, in mainstream media to think that uh, eternal life is something unnatural and bad. Um, I quite enjoy uh, Marvel movies and uh, in the recent Doctor Strange movie, uh, for example, the bad guy's goal is to take away the constraints of time and to bring about eternal life. Um, <clears throat> it's also increasingly common um, for eternal life in whatever form that takes to be depicted as making people inc extremely miserable. I mean, I think a major point, a major part of why eternal life is considered bad is because there is so much wrong with this world as it is. Um, I said earlier that in Genesis chapter 3, God cursed the world because of Adam's sin. Uh, Romans 8 says that the world is groaning because of that. Ecclesiastes uh, says everything is meaningless. Uh, one, uh, Ecclesiastes 1 2 says, meaningless, meaningless. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Uh, and so with, with that in mind, it's 
quite reasonable to think that eternal life would indeed be awful. With the world the way it is, who would want to live in it for all eternity? And that's not even considering uh, the awful things that people do to each other. Uh, People could make uh, eternal life extremely miserable as well. Um, But what the Bible means by eternal life is not just life without death, but life without death and sin and pain and sadness. Uh, Revelation 21, uh, it says, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Here will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was sitting on the throne said, I am making all things new. Then he said, write these things, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. All pain, all sadness, all death will be nowhere to be found in eternal life. No one who could cause pain or sadness or death will be there either. Um, And we know Jesus has proved victorious over sickness and sin and death. He worked miracles over them and rose from the dead. I am the resurrection and the life, he said, as he raised Lazarus from the dead. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing will never die. Jesus is fully powerful to bring those who believe in him to be with God for all eternity uh, and to raise us to eternal life. And now he's just waiting for people to believe so that he can grant them eternal life. Uh, And so all of that then begs the all-important question, will you believe? Uh, Back in John 20, we've been looking at some of the key words there. Uh, And the last one that needs our attention is believe. Uh, Now, I've left it until now uh, because this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it stops uh, being theoretical and it starts being practical. Uh, It's not general anymore, it's personal. Uh, So far I've been talking about we Christians um, and those who believe. But now I ask you, do you believe? And if not, will you believe? Uh, Believing in the simplest sense means that you believe that what I've said today is true. Uh, You take it as fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Um, But of course it goes deeper than that as well. Um, Consider the implications of believing that Jesus is all that. If Jesus made everything, rules everything and can save everything, uh, which is what uh, what uh, what his identity means, as I said. And of course if you are then part of everything... Uh, which you are, of course, then Jesus being who he is directly affects you. Um, And so believing all these things will affect you as well. Uh, Believing that Jesus is the Saviour means that you will go to him to be saved. Uh, If you believe in Jesus, uh, you will acknowledge to him your need to be saved, that your sin, your opposition to God, uh, means that you have no hope of ever being with God or of ever having eternal life. 
And your sin has made God rightfully angry with you. Um, and, but if you believe that Jesus is the Saviour, then you will go to him. <clears throat> uh, secondly, believing in Jesus as the Son of God uh, means that you will worship him. Uh, as I said before, Jesus deserves all praise and service that you can offer him and more. I mean, if you truly believe that, your life will be devoted to praising and obeying him in your day-to-day life. Um, but of course, for all its far-reaching implications, uh, at the end of the day, believing in Jesus is a simple thing. Uh, there are no rituals or places or actions or prayers that Jesus requires of you, just that you believe that he is who he says he is. <clears throat> he will do, indeed, he has done all that is required for you to be with God for all eternity. And um, so I encourage you, um, if, you haven't, if you don't believe, to make that decision today. Don't make it rashly without uh, thinking. It's not the sort of decision that you can make quickly and change your mind tomorrow. But I do encourage you to make it urgently. Um, it is a life or death decision, and Jesus won't wait forever until you, uh, while you consider your options. Uh, Moses said in Deuteronomy 30, What I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not in heaven that you... Uh, sorry, it is not in heaven, nor is it beyond the sea. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. Uh, now, for those of you who do believe, um, I also want to encourage you to continue believing. Uh, the word there in verse 30, uh, is, sorry, in John chapter 20, verse 30, is not a, a once-off um, idea. Um, no, you could, it, we, it could easily be read as, these are written that you may continue to believe. Uh, take confidence, then, uh, from the fact that Jesus' miracles are proof of his identity. Take hope from the promise of eternal life. Um, as I said, this isn't something that you can just change your mind about, but it is also something that you shouldn't change your mind about. Um, believing in Jesus is entirely the right response to him. And there are blessings in store for you. Uh, and as a second uh, application, I want to re- remind and encourage you um, to teach those around you to believe. Uh, Romans 10 uh, again picks up that quote from Deuteronomy I just read. Um, it says, The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. Uh, Paul says that is the f- message concerning faith that we proclaim. That if you c- declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one in whom they have not Uh, in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Uh, Teach your kids, teach your grandkids, 
Teach your workmates, your schoolmates, your mates of whatever kind you have to believe the gospel that Jesus is everything I've been teaching today. And that is that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the King. He is God. He is real and He is true and so are the miracles and the gospels which show us the truth of who He really is. And He offers the blessing of eternal life to everyone who believes that. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, uh, we thank you so much for your Messiah, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he really did come to earth, uh, that you did send him uh, to bring us back to you, um, and that you've given us confidence uh, of that through the Bible that uh, that you have prepared for us. Um, Thank you that he also offers us eternal life if we trust in him. And so, God, I just pray for everyone uh, who is here today, uh, anyone uh, who doesn't truly believe in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would not let them leave uh, this room without believing in Jesus for eternal life. Um, And let those that are here, Lord, that do believe in him, continue to believe no matter what, just as you have promised. I mean, God, I just finally want to pray that this gospel would go forth from this church and from many other churches around the world uh, so that many would believe, um, Lord, because you command all men everywhere to believe in Jesus. Amen.